welcome to The Workplace Effect, your monthly podcast where we hope to turn your company into a community. We'll hear from different voices, different customers and different hosts every month, each adding their own insights and top tips from their field of expertise and experience to create a living manifesto that will grow with each listen. A little white book of insights for your ears to give you the ideas and tools you need to sculpt your company culture. Think of this as a handbook for your workplace. You might remember me. I'm Lisa Winstanley, Customer Advocacy Manager here at Meta. And today I'm back in the hosting hot seat for The Workplace Effect. So far in this series, we've heard from some incredible guests talking about the ways we're adapting in this new world of work, how hybrid working might be a new normal for some, the use of bots in the workplace, and why a positive work culture is fundamental to the success of a business. Today, we're looking to the future of work. For years, technologists have been whispering about the metaverse and new ways of using virtual reality and augmented reality, which is now starting to emerge. There's been plenty of talk on how the next iteration of the internet, an internet you can step inside, will change gaming, entertainment and social connections. But the metaverse also means profound changes when it comes to the world of work. So let's dive out of this world and into the metaverse to find out more with a leading expert. Well, I'm delighted to bring in a man who knows a thing or two about the metaverse here at Meta, Stephen McDonnell. Hi, Stephen. How are you doing today? Hi, Lisa. Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. And tell me, where are you today? I'm in San Francisco, California. So uh, I'm based at the, uh, well, the new Burlingame office, which is the heart of Reality Labs. I'm happy to say that I work remotely, or where I, I certainly have that benefit. We signed up very early to work from home, which I think has been a really valuable experiment for us, you know, using tools like Portal and, yeah. and you know, more recently getting into workrooms and that sort of thing. You really get a sense of how these technologies really are going to help us kind of conquer distance and, and do some of the things that, or just be able to work, you know, wherever we are. Yeah. That's, that's really the power of it. And are you having a good day and a good week this week? Mm. Should I not ask? You've caught me at 8am <laughs> on a Wednesday. So, I mean, that's not so bad, right? Uh, no, having a wonderful week. Look, you know, lots of exciting things. And as you can imagine, lots of people running around with lots of ideas and excitement. Yeah, and lots of interest. And yeah, piquing my interest now, obviously. So I'm good. intrigued to know more. So Stephen, tell me a bit about your role at Meta. You know, mm. what do you do and what does it involve? Yeah. So I'm a member of the partnerships team, which uh, of course is a team that goes all across Meta um, and touches partners in all sorts of engagements. But I'm specifically focused in Reality Labs, which is the heart of all our AR, VR, XR activities. And then further, I'm focused on work and the future of work. So that largely manifests externally as a program we have called the ISV program, the Independent Software Vendors. So we kicked off the ISV program at the time that Facebook at the time launched Oculus for Business and Oculus for Business was really our first offering in the workspace. And because we were really focusing on work, that led us to sort of think about, you know, who were the partners, who were the channel partners in that space? And that led to the ISV program. Fantastic. And Stephen, there's probably many people listening right now who might not be familiar with the metaverse. The word 
doesn't appear in the dictionary. So how do you define it? Is it part of the new Web3 era we're moving into? Wow. Um, look, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'd hate to be the big one to question. define It is a big question. And, and I, I kind of, you know, I think smarter people than me necessarily are sort of thinking about <laughs> defining the metaverse. But I think there's some things that we potentially can begin to understand now about what the metaverse might be and, and we're building towards it. So, I mean, I guess if you put me on the spot, you know, I would say the metaverse will, in the same way that, you know, what we call the mobile web, will come to understand it as it, as it grows, as it manifests. You know, I, I, I like to think about, um, I've been doing this for a while and so was involved with the sort of the mobile revolution. And back in the early 2000s, you think about Bluetooth and Wi-Fi and there were such, you know, unreliable technologies. It was hard to imagine that they were really ever going to come together and work. And there was GPS and there was, you know, we started to get touch technologies on mobile devices and, and started seeing more and more sensors in these mobile devices. So, you know, on paper, you would say in the early 2000s, you should be able to predict that everything was going to happen. You could predict that, that mobile social networks, that that Lyft was going to happen and, and Uber and, and those sorts of things, because really those things were entirely enabled by the technology that was coming together. So, you know, I think the metaverse is going to be a manifestation of, you know, 3D technologies, edge computing, faster processing, AI. And so all those things are going to come together just primarily to provide us new ways of experiencing our data. And I think in a lot of ways, to provide data in ways that is more comfortable for humans. You know, the Gutenberg press perhaps has a lot to explain to us because, you know, with, with the printing press, we sort of drove down this path as, as humans where we decided to encode all our information in written text. And, and that was the way that, that information was going to be shared. And, you know, prior to that, it was like there was knowledge workers mm -hmm. and they were working with the text and they were decoding it and using it. And, and perhaps that could have carried on, but it went to scale. Mm. And now, you know, my wife is a lovely, lovely person. She's very smart. She's a VP of digital and, and e-commerce at a company, but she's not a reader. She's not a core reader. Some people just aren't. You know, one of the prior jobs for me was Barnes & Noble and I was working on e-readers. And something I learned there was, the, the number of core readers, and core reader just means you read more than six books a year in the US or anywhere, is very small. A lot of people do not primarily get information via reading. It's not a, a great experience for them. And when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense mm. because what somebody's doing is encoding information into text. And then if I want to get that information, I have to decode it. My brain has to disambiguate that information. So I think, you know, we've seen this revolution from the desktop where everything was very you know 2d to mobile devices as we sort of get you know i think video was available before that but as we got devices we can carry around with video cameras on them you know we started seeing um, more and more video being used which is you know again getting closer to the way that people think you know we, we think in 2d we oh, sorry we think in 3d we think in action and movement and those sorts of things um so, you know, I, I really think that, you know, a big part of what we're doing as we head towards the metaverse is just giving people information in ways that they are more comfortable consuming. So the metaverse is, is getting to a more comfortable relationship with data, 
uh, having access to it in ways that you know uh, are advancing you know from the from the desktop where you know our information was there to mobile where our information was our hands to to our face so it's a, it's a movement closer and closer to our eyes and brain as we're sort of seeing these revolutions and it, do you feel that is that why we need to move beyond the 2D world because we don't live in a 2D world, as you've just said. We live in a 3D world. Well, I mean, I guess I, I agree with everything you said except need. I don't, I'm not sure if it's a question of need. I think in some ways it's inevitable we're seeing this happening because people will find ways to yeah. absorb information. I mean, you know, data will find a way, information will find a way, and people will find a way to get to the information they need. And I think, you know, yes, I, I do think that for many people, the sort of move to 2D and text-based communication really hasn't benefited from for them. So I think, you know, this really will be providing and empowering many more people to sort of have access and, and, and more easily use the information. You know, again, I'm, I'm not sort of saying, you know, some people are smart because they can, <laughs> you know, they're more comfortable taking text. Uh, again, you know, I'm not allowed to say that because my <laughs> wife is one of those people who doesn't, who doesn't easily sort of, uh, doesn't love reading, doesn't read for pleasure. She, well, she can't read, but again, it's it's not her preferred method of absorbing information. So yes, I do think I'm not sure it needs to happen, but I think it inevitably will happen because it will benefit people. Yeah. So let's talk about who is using these new kinds of technology. You know, can you share with us any success stories of businesses using AR and VR? Absolutely. I mean, anybody can look at what training in VR offers, and there's a couple of immediate benefits you know for example not having to put somebody onto a plane to go to training you know not having to you know sending them the entire training room the training space they put on that headset and they can be wherever you need them to be with whomever you need them to be so you know you kind of take away all that concept of travel a lot of the setup costs yeah you know the idea of repeatability you can just do something over and over and over again you can create impossible or difficult to create situations. So, you know, for somebody who needs to train somebody on an oil rig or, you know, how to, to work at the top of a wind fan or, or something like that, you know, you can really create all these different situations. But going back to um, Johnson & Johnson and OSA, so what they did was kind of compare traditional learning for um, surgeons yeah. with VR. And traditional learning, <laughs> and, and frankly, this... This example is pretty applicable anywhere. Traditional learning is very traditional. So, you know, especially in the medical space where it's really hard to sort of expose a student to the things they're ultimately going to be do early on, um, you know, a lot of it's like years of reading. And then after you've done years of reading, you get to be in a room where somebody else, or perhaps you're in a theatre looking down on somebody else actually doing it. And as, you know, your education proceeds, you get closer and closer to where you know somebody's actually holding a scalp on cutting and then eventually you know you'll, you'll get to work on on cadavers and that sort of thing as well yeah but there's a lot of challenges in that space of course you know there's just not a lot of people lying around wanting to be operated on by student <laughs> yeah. doctors and and you know the frankly um cadavers have been a problem for medical science for centuries so you know there's just not uh, not a lot of them around surprisingly i guess the the students who went through the vr training could do that surgery in nearly 100% of the cases, nearly 97% of the cases, I believe it was something in that vicinity. Whereas on the other side, the students were not ready at all to do it. You know, they hadn't been confronted by the experience. They hadn't put their heads in that space. Um, they hadn't actually dealt with, you know, the reality 
of, of that surgery. So really taking somebody into that experience, again, the superpowers of repeatability, you know, impossible situations. Yeah. A personal experience of this, you just mentioned about aviation as being one of the training areas. And um, it would have been, when I, I qualified as a helicopter pilot, and it would have been much more preferable to go solo in VR than with a lot more experience under my belt than as I did, as you were expected to, at 20 hours of flight time going solo. You know, so VR would have been a much more preferable and, and a safer option, I would think. And I was just wondering, you've spoken about the, the VR in training the medical profession. Do you know when this would be, then become a widespread solution? Well, that's uh, <laughs> you're asking me when the metaverse will be here, basically. So, I mean... <laughs> Lisa, Big you just question said, again. Right. So you just said something really interesting, I think. You know, you, you were talking about your training as a helicopter pilot. And, you know, pilots and, and training pilots is one of the areas that um, VR has been used for years and years and years. And even if you think mm. about, you know, flight simulator, really yeah. flight simulator is taking the experience in an aircraft and turning it into a 3D experience on 2D, right? Yeah. Th there's an argument that that was a sort of an experience of the metaverse. You were, you were taking... A, a, a real world experience and experiencing it digitally. Um, so, you know, to some extent for those users, they were meeting the, the metaverse. You know, the metaverse is going to be something that ultimately we get to, you know, in the same way that we can sort of say, you know, there was a mobile revolution, you know, acknowledge that not everybody got one of those phones at the same time. You know, there were still lots of, and there probably still are people using feature phones and that sort of thing who are not engaged in the in the sort of the mobile metaverse you know some people are by by the nature of their their work or the their inclinations you know they might already be sort of experiencing the 2d sort of version of our world um, on computers in 2d and in 3d so really you know the metaverse is going to be you know bringing again sort of this more personal relationship with our data but really bringing it to us in ways that are much more comfortable for us to experience. So I sort of talked about 3D and, and how valuable that is for humans. But also, you know, the metaverse is going to be augmented reality. We're going to be laying our information out over the actual the world that we're experiencing in real life on a daily basis. So, you know, we see that coming to life in things like in games like Pokemon Go and, and, and increasingly in sort of the mixed reality experiences that are being enabled by things like Project Cambria. So where we're actually kind of bringing those experiences out and laying them out over the real world. Well, let's bring it back to Meta and the products we have. There's Portal and we've got Quest. Can you tell us a little bit more about them, Stephen? Yeah, actually Portal is um, the, the team that I first joined when I joined Facebook then and now Meta. And I was working on licenses for Storytime. Storytime being a experience on Portal that brought stories to life. And, you know, I think we've sort of changed direction a little bit on the Portal side. And now it's much more of a work product. And I have to say, for me, Portal is an invaluable tool. It really is a window into wh whoever you're working with. You know, by taking my, my calls off my computer and moving them onto my Portal, you know, that now is the device that connects me to other people. Whereas my computer, you know, I'm, I'm typing, it's got my calendar, you know, I continue to use that. But I feel like, you know, I've sort of 
separated my view to people and I haven't really felt that sort of sense of zoom burnout or oh, any wow. of those sorts of things it really has been a valuable tool for me and I think you know other people will find it that way as well so you know portal is a tool for connecting to people it's a window into you know the rest of the world it will be and, and continues to be a place where you know AR technologies will be implemented and I think there's you know endless scope for that on the quest side these are our VR headsets of course, you know, we're heading towards uh, and, and there's been a lot of talk since Connect last year around Project Cambria, an upcoming device, you know, towards the end of this year um, that really is focused on addressing needs around work. So, you know, how do people want to work? And really what's going to bring to life is some of those mixed reality technologies I was talking about earlier. You know, what is certainly the case is, you know, the metaverse is about collaboration. It's about connecting to people. That's fundamentally what it is. And I think, you know, while Quest, Quest Go, Quest 2, um, Rift have all been very valuable experiences, they're very closed off. You're sort of in this headset and you're, you're in another world. And sometimes that could be a space with other people doing work and sometimes it could be a game. But, I, you know, I think what Project Cambria is really going to bring to life is that connection, like, I am in a space, I'm working with other people. It starts bringing to life the spaces around me as well, bringing my data into my actual workspace. Um, so that's Quest, that's Portal. Yeah. The other product that's really important, you know, as we think about work is Quest for Business. So Quest for Business is a product that will go into open beta at the end of this year in 2023. You know, and really what that does is kind of go from the consumer product we have today and add the ability to uh, make it into a work product. So that's going to be, you know, do I need work accounts versus meta accounts? Do I need mobile device management? Which means, you know, I'm thinking about scale. I want to be able to manage not just my device, but 50 devices, 100 devices, yeah. 10,000 devices, 60,000 devices like Accenture has. You know, when you start getting to those scales, you're really thinking about how do I manage those devices? And manage those devices means a lot of things. And it's, you know, we sort of gloss over that. But what does manage a device mean? A lot of the same things you do for your your phone or whatever it might be. You know, is it charged? What applications do I have on there? You know, what what version of the software is on there? Now, you know, for an organization, that's centrally managed and centrally understood. And then ultimately, roles and responsibilities. Like, you know, what what information does this person have access to versus that person and what groups do I have access to you know in within meta we manage that to a large extent through um you know workplace and and a lot of the gatekeepers and you know if you're a member of this group um you get access to these documents and if you're not you mm -hmm. don't um and if you want yeah. it you have to ask somebody to get it you know and, and that's that's roles yeah. and responsibilities so that all gets built into mdm as well or, or into the tools that will be available via quest for business exciting to see all these products in use and for more and more people to start using them you said earlier the future is here it's just not equally distributed will ar and vr future-proof businesses do you think or is that just a bit too meta hmm. i don't think anything future-proofs businesses i mean look really the metaverse is another digital transformation like for companies like this is the continuing digital transformation we can sort of say you know the personal computer revolution and the mobile device revolution and whatever other revolution you know the metaverse revolution if you like but the reality is it's 
it's digitization and, and AI and fast networks and, and those things just keep improving. And as they do, you know, and other new technologies kind of come to the table, they enable new ways of experiencing these things. But I think ultimately, you know, it's all been on the same trajectory. So, you know, I will say the metaverse is inevitable. And, and you know, with 2020 hindsight, of course, you know, the, the mobile revolution was inevitable and the PC revolution was inevitable and the mainframe revolution was inevitable and, you know, the, the print revolution was inevitable and the industrial revolution was inevitable. And all these <laughs> yeah. things have kind of, I mean, not specifically, but led to this point. And, and, and just so, I, I mean, you know, to some extent you're just sort of, uh, sort of saying that these technologies provide value and if they provide value people will use them and if they use them then we'll we'll see the implications of that we'll find new ways of engaging with that information and also i didn't say i mean i did say the future is here it's not equally distributed but isaac asimov i think said it before me he was talking about science fiction technologies but that's the point really you know the, the future is always unequally distributed we talk about the metaverse some of us are experiencing it to some extent already some of us are going into vr meetings yeah, but people are experiencing immersive technologies in, in all sorts of ways. You know, I think even things like I mentioned earlier that, you know, every morning now since the beginning of this year, um, it's my uh, New Year's resolution to do a workout in, um, I, I use Supernatural, but there's other products like Fit, FitXR and, and others. You know, when you think about wellness, you know, that's also something that we think about at work, right? Certainly at Meta, you know, when I was in the office, we had those quiet rooms that you could go into. Um, and, and just, you know, spend 10 or 15 minutes and then and just have a breath. You know, that's what TRIP does. TRIP is a, a meditation application. So you can get TRIP. I, uh, that's also an application I subscribe to. I found that I could never meditate in the real world. I, I was just too easily distracted. But put on a headset, it drops you into these very compelling sort of visuals that completely absorb you. And so, therefore, your brain is locked in on that. And then you're listening to the words and you can really sort of get that peaceful moment. And so with, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, you can come sort of get your head into a new place. Now, isn't that a valuable thing for work? I think so. You know, I think as employers think about, you know, the well-being of employees, you know, that's another thing, another space. You know, both, I think, you know, the idea of maybe even doing a 10-minute um, Beat Saber session just to get your heart going and stand up and move around, right? That's something that we think about from an ergonomics perspective with, with people sitting at desks all the time as well. So there's there's no end to the benefits and, and ways that people could be engaging, even today yeah. in the metaverse. But I think it, it, it's as those become broader, as those use cases you know get more broadly used, and essentially they'll start bumping into each other and people will go, I can do more things in VR. You know, the next challenge will be interoperability. How do I get my stuff from here to there? You know, it's almost like if you cast your mind back to the, the desktop publishing revolution. And that started when, you know, people were happily creating text in VR and, you know, in a, uh, sorry, text on their personal computer, like typing in Word, drawing in Draw, and then wanting to put those things together. And most importantly, not just to put it together so they could print it, that you could do, but put it together in a way that you could just most importantly, share it with other people. And I think that's the next big revolution we'll start seeing as, as more and more people are in VR. You know, initially, it'll be experiencing content that other people will create. But I think more and more, as we think about productivity, will be people creating content in VR, putting it together and, and, and sharing it with other people and helping other people experience you know, what's in their head and getting it out of their head and, and into the world.
Excellent. And it's also exciting. And exercising in VR sounds like the future to me, I've got to say. Oh, I can highly recommend it. You know, I mean, I think people might think, oh, I don't know about VR. That's not necessarily for me. But once you put it on, it short circuits your brain. Like, you, it is real. That, when I said earlier, you know, those training instances, yeah. it's not low stakes. People aren't. You don't get the sense that this is just a, an avatar or a representation yeah. of somebody that I'm, in the instance of also the experience that most of us have seen is knee surgery. And boy, it is strangely visceral. Like a lot of people, we actually had to ask them to provide a different demo because for many people it was just too confronting. Wow. And, and of course, these are intelligent people. They know they're in VR. Yeah. You know, I'll go, back, I'll go back to my wife. She'll be mad at me. <laughs> but, you know, the first time I managed to get her into VR, I put her into a product called um, Wanda. It's like Google Maps in VR. So it basically drops you into the sort of the, the map view where you can kind of look around and be in a space. And, you know, the first place she went to was her childhood home. And that was, oh, wow. And then she said, oh, let's go to the Eiffel Tower. And when you go to the Eiffel Tower, it drops you at the top of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and my wife has a terrible fear of heights. Oh, no. And she was absolutely paralyzed. I'm like, Tara, you're standing in your living room. Don't, you're fine. You can take a step forward. And she, I mean, yeah. I mean, of course she could and did. But I, I say it more to the point that, it is extremely visceral. It, mm. It's giving you the information that your brain is only too willing to accept as real and, and allows you, again, to sort of have very real training experiences, yeah. you know, to experiencing, once you put a VR headset on somebody, they get it. Yeah. They get that, you know, their brain is now in that place. Before you go, we want to add you to our Workplace Manifesto, which has been growing with each episode. This is what our past guests have added. Tom Gibby wants us all to use bots in the workplace. Jane Sparrow said we should do everything we can to make other people feel valued. And Bruce Daisley reinforced that a positive work culture will thrive if there's a sense of togetherness in the workplace. So what one piece of advice or information would you like to add to our manifesto, Stephen? Boy, Lisa. I mean, the first person who did this probably didn't feel a lot of pressure, <laughs> but now it's it's all this wisdom that's accreting. I, I, it's a lot. I think it's a wonderful time to be curious about the technology and to embrace the idea that people are going to experience the metaverse in different ways, and, and that is possibly the most powerful um, moment in sort of this revolution of technology that we've been going down, that people will have their own experience of it as opposed to the same experience that everybody else has. We go from broadcast to kind of point cast experiences. I love it. Curiosity is the key. This has been such a great conversation, Stephen, and I feel like the listeners will have so much to take away from this. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Great pleasure. And I hope everybody starts having a lot of fun in immersive technologies and starts experimenting with the metaverse. And thank you to you for listening to The Workplace Effect. We'll be back next month, so keep a lookout for the next helping. And in the meantime, we'll be sharing another customer success story with you very soon. 